Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy. My guest today is a filmmaker who's reinvented the documentary in a loose trilogy of celebrity biographies of Formula One champion Ayrton Senna, the pop star Amy Winehouse, and this year footballing legend Diego Maradona, as if Capadia rejects the traditional tools of the trade. Each film is constructed almost entirely from archive footage and his collages of wobbly home videos, grainy newsreel and vintage broadcasts have hooked audiences and critics alike. Amy followed Senna to become the highest-gracing British documentary of all time. Together, they've garnered Capadia three BAFTAs, an Oscar and a Grammy. Each film tracks the stratospheric rise and catastrophic fall of a brilliant but doomed young person and tries to peel back the layers of legend to get at who they really were. Ayrton Senna, handsome, pious, a demon on the road, killed in a fatal crash while racing, aged just 34. You are competing to win. And if you no longer go for a gap, you're no longer a racing driver. Amy Winehouse, a voice brimming with soul, dead at just 27 from alcohol poisoning. The more people see of me, the more they'll realise that all I'm good for is making music. The final instalment follows Diego Maradona, perhaps the greatest footballer of all time, from the slums of Buenos Aires to World Cup glory. But it also exposes the ugly side of Maradona's beautiful game, the violence, drugs, womanising and corruption that would ruin his career and all but destroy him too. So this week we're asking Senna, Winehouse, Maradona. Can film reveal the person behind the myth? Asif Kabadia, welcome to The Economist Asks. Thank you. Nice to be here. So what first drew you to El Diego? Is it the life story? Is it the football? Bit of both. I'm a big football fan. I've always watched it. Um, I've grown up playing football. But I think to make a film about somebody and spend that much time with them, it's got to be really about who they are and what they stand for and what's gone on in their life. The interest in making a movie about someone is because they've got drama. And I'm wondering how the selection process works. Is there a moment when you know with each of these subjects that you go on to make film about that this is a person you can live with for hours, for months, for years to capture the audience, but to sustain your own interest? Who falls by the wayside? Honestly, there is an element of guesswork. It is an instinct. It's got to be a gut as to why you say yes to a particular project and no to another one. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time when I've started a film and then halfway through thought, oh, I don't think we can make this. It's not working. There's not enough material. We'll stop. You know, once you say yes, you've got to do it. And and often what's happened is by then, you know, you've raised some money and the finance and you're making the film. You can't then hand it back. Uh, so it's a gut instinct. And 
I suppose I have to go in there knowing something or knowing enough to think I know where it's heading and the film's become about the journey. I knew how Senna, how his story ended. I was watching it live. I remember at the time I knew how Amy's story ended. And with both of them, I guess the question was, well, how did they live? What did Senna stand for? Why was no one looking after Amy? Why did no one protect her? Why is, why is she on stage? And with Maradona, I can remember the chaos and the madness and just thinking, well, it's going to be hard. I don't think it's an easy story to tell, but I'm willing to take the chance to kind of gamble to see, can I finally get close enough to tell his tale? And how well did you know him over the course of making the film? And what emerged for you about spending that much time on? It seems, by comparison with some of your other subjects, more evasive, harder to pin down. Yeah, you know, he says in the film um, that football is a game of deceit. And I think that's how he lived his life. And that's how he is to interview. <laughs> you know, his whole thing is um, a diversion and trickery. And you ask one question and it'll give you a brilliant answer, but about some entirely different subject. And you think, well, that's great, but that's not what I asked you. So, I mean, that was the challenge. You know, no, very few people have got close to him. He's, he's a tricky character. He's lived his life in a certain way. He doesn't look back. He doesn't have regrets. He's never made a mistake in his life. It's the rest of the world that has turned against him or whatever. And that that's the challenge. I mean, that's the reason to make it. So you can only go so far with the interviews of him. And I do feel like I got him to talk about things and talk about subjects and particular difficult challenges that he's never got that deep with anyone else previously. But also, that's why we have the other voices. Sometimes they're more reliable. <laughs> he's not necessarily the most reliable witness to his own story. That's why he's Diego Maradona. How different is it when your subject is still alive? In, in certain ways, it, it's great. You know, you can meet him. But then actually, while I'm making the film, they're definitely is a moment when I'm chatting to him I'm in his home in Dubai in his presence asking him a question and when he gives me an answer I'm thinking I'm not sure the person I'm making the film about is the same person I'm talking to right now wow because I'm making a film about this young guy that arrived in 1984 to Naples who was quite vulnerable and quite innocent and lost and lonely and I'm making a film about this legendary mythical character who's nearly 60 years old who you know has an answer for everything and I guess there's an element of he has changed, but there's an element of I don't know how much he remembers. You know, he's put his b- body through so much physically, so much trauma. He's been pronounced dead about three times and then he comes back again. You know, so how can he go back to that precise moment where I forensically researched what happened to him when he arrived in Naples 30 or so years previously? Why would he remember? Well, none of us would remember that much detail. My intention was always at some point towards the end of the filmmaking process to show him the film and to do a final interview with him having watched it and to see what it would trigger. But with classic Maradona, I never got to that point. I could never get to him again at the ending. He would he was never available. His team would always say he's too busy. So he didn't see it before I completed it. And as far as I know, he still hasn't seen the film. I think he was running away from you. I've I've wondered, you know, is it because the people around him have done deals and the next deal is now available to them, so they head off? Is it because... I have no interest in this film. Is it because they're worried about the film? Is it because they don't even remember the film even happened? You know, I don't know. It could be all of the above. You've watched perhaps more hours of Maradona playing than anyone else, including a lot of the the world's most devoted football fans. What do you think made him such an extraordinary player, perhaps the, the greatest player with those flashes of genius? The thing that makes him stand out is he is, he's this bridge between players like Pele and the present-day players. He's the first of the sort of generation of players from Latin America who came to Europe. 
he had to come to Europe. Pele never came to Europe. So on one hand, professionally, he came over and he tested himself in the toughest league in the world, which was in Italy at the time. And everything that came with it, the brutality of playing in Europe and the toughness of the challenges and the pitches and everything was different. It was faster. What makes him interesting is he came from a very tough pool background. A lot of footballers do. He's a street guy. He's a street fighter. He came from essentially a slum or a favela. No electricity, you know, no power, no running water. Eight of them living in a shack. He came from that and he became a god. How can anyone survive that type of life and existence? And the fact is, he's still going. And I think the reason he's going is because he is a fighter. He's a street fighter. He, he will survive on the pitch, off the pitch and... The people and the friends that he makes are street guys. He feels at home in Naples because it's a bit like Buenos Aires. It's a bit like, there's a lot of Italians, by the way, in Buenos Aires. And his mum's side of the family came from southern Italy. So there is a sort of link that he has with that city, the culture, and the kind of mixture of football and street life. So I think that's what makes him a survivor and interesting. The words godlike are often applied to him, even allowing for the hype of fame, which is something that you look at in your work. What is it about him that inspires that kind of almost mythological status as well as just, I would say, say Roger Federer in tennis, fabulously admired, deservedly so, amazing achievements. I wouldn't have thought the word godlike would have been applied to him so much. What's the difference? We're talking about Catholic countries. We're talking about religion. We're talking about countries, you know, Argentina coming out of a dictatorship and then taking on the rich, wealthy European countries and beating them, beating England four years after you've had a war and being humiliated. So the idea of getting revenge and humiliating the English, not by being the best player in the world and scoring a great goal, but by doing a little bit of cheating, which is a very Latin way of getting a little bit of revenge that just hurts that much more, which is why everyone still goes on about it. This is the hand of God. Absolutely. So there's something about coming from poverty and a poor country that's suffering and, and politically suffering because of the dictators and, you know, having the military police around when you grow up and then going off and proving yourself against the wealthy Europeans. Going to a city like Naples where they have a saint, Gennaro, and him being treated like a saint because he makes them proud because he beats the north and the wealthy. It's much bigger than anything. Federer comes from a wealthy sport of tennis. OK, you've got to be pretty rich to play tennis. And you make millions by playing tennis and being successful. But if you come from nothing and then you reach the heights and you make poor people successful, then you've reached another level of success and fame. That strikes me as a good explanation. The hand of God moment, which I suppose is also is one of those big vectors that moves him from already being acclaimed to controversy. It's pretty clearly a cheat. We don't disagree about that, do we? No, not at all. At all. So He's, He did it more than once, by the way. I've seen him do that three or four times. Lots of hands of God. If you want to sum up Diego Maradona and why he's interesting and important and why he is loved and hated equally, it's the game against England. And if you take all of the things that he did, it's not the World Cup final beating Germany. It's the quarterfinal against England for precisely the reason that four years previously, the two countries were at war and, and the British won and humiliated, humiliated the Argentinians. But the Argentinians were being told they were winning. So it's only when he went to Spain for the 82 World Cup that they even realised what was really going on because nobody at home knew. And I've seen footage of Maradona actually at telephones where people were giving away their jewellery and their fur coats and their private possessions to help the military to go off to fight because they were winning this war. So he was a part of that. He was on TV begging people to give their money so that the military could then use it and, and buy arms. So that's where he came from. 
to then realise actually we've lost and we've been humiliated, to then play against England and this idea, the pressure, and people trying to tone it down, but really it was a key match. The England team were great, Argentina were great. He scores two goals, one with his hand. He's only five foot five. he's tiny. He jumps higher than a goalkeeper who's six foot one. You've got to be pretty good to do that if you think about it. And he scores with his hand and he gets away with it and he says he does it and it's like a sort of spiritual revenge. He's doing it as a revenge against the English for what happened to them. And then four minutes later, he scores what is considered one of the finest goals of all time. The same guy could do both. That's why he's special. It's the God, it's the devil. It's the genius, the cheat. He's always been his two sided guys, Diego and his Maradona. When you ask him about the hand of God, do you get a different response or quality of response to what you've described as that slightly shady or shadowy sense that he's tried to slough off his past life? He doesn't deny he did it. I mean, he just says, I tried it. I put my hand in there. I jumped. I did it. I looked around. No one saw. I started celebrating. I've got to say, I'm also a sport fan. I'm a football fan. I know this happens every week and every match. In some way or form, people will push the rules. If it's your team who does it and wins... You're happy when it's the other lot. You think it's all corrupt and the world's against you. But that's the nature of sport. The film follows quite a short period of Maradona's life, barely a decade really from 1984 when he joins Naples after a really calamitous period with Barcelona. He's sort of traumatised from the, the start of, of the film, even though he's, he sees himself as successful. He feels he's been badly treated. He's always whinging about it. he hasn't got a limousine or that he wants a Ferrari and he gets a, a Fiat, a feeling that many of us have had in life. But he does sort of channel that sense almost of being a spoiled the world's against teenager. Him. Yeah, he, the world's he needs, against him. There's a particular Spanish word, bronca, anger. The world's against me. And I do think that does come back to where he's from. If you come from poverty and the idea that no one cares about you, no one cares about your existence when you're poor because you don't count. And especially in what's really interesting, what's complex about Maradona is this idea that his dad is from an indigenous background. So within Argentina, he's considered black which I never heard of. I never thought about that ever before. So his mum is from Italy and is European, but he's considered black because he has mixed blood. So no one cares about poor kids and no one cares about people who are indigenous because who runs Argentina, who runs a lot of Latin American countries are the Europeans. The wealth comes from there. The education comes from there. No one cares who I am. No one cares where I'm from. So you're angry. And then you go off and you achieve things and everyone loves you suddenly. Why do you love me? Because I'm making you look good. I'm making you feel good. But wherever he goes, he will feel the world's against him. And that idea of anger and bronca, he needs to fight someone or something or an establishment. Eventually, it will become FIFA, become Seb Blatter, it will become the Americans. But when he played, it was Europe, it was the English, or it was the Northern Italian teams. And this arc ends around 1990. Why did you take a relatively short arc from his life? It comes down to a pivotal match of Argentina versus Italy in his home stadium in Naples. And that, for me, that idea of summing it all up to a particular game and a particular moment between who he is, which is Southern Italian and Neapolitan and Argentinian, versus the rest of Italy, and it comes down to one penalty kick, I thought was cinematically a far more interesting way to end it. He wants to score that goal. He wants to get to the World Cup final. But by scoring it, he's going to destroy everything. I mean, that's kind of Shakespearean. You know, that's kind of Greek tragedy. That's what you, you have to take these stories and you have to take these lives and you have to conflate them and find a kind of classical story way of telling it. You can't put everything in. The movie would be 50 hours long and it won't be that interesting. So my job is to spend a lot of time making it short so that people who are into football and people who can't stand football will still find him interesting as a character. And really, the best way to sum up his career is his time in Naples, seven years playing in Napoli. 
he's still alive. He's had a not particularly distinguished career, but he still has a career around football. He's still alive. I think that's enough. (laughs) Very few people could have lived the life that Diego Maradona has lived and still be alive. That in itself is an achievement, I think. And how much do you think the cocaine, the addiction, that sort of like squalid world, which we see, and I think you've chosen shots that bring that very much to life without looking like you're seizing on it. Half the time you just want to go in and tidy up the room. This emotion that you often produce in the viewers, you just kind of want to stop the next bad thing happening. How important do you think that was? I mean, I think what we tried to do in a movie was to explain his life and everything that comes after it. I feel you're essentially left with somebody who leaves Naples as an addict. And everything that comes after it is really somebody who is an addict or is somehow trying to abstain and has done a lot of controversial things and a lot of bad things later on in life. But he's still recovering from the experience of being in Italy and Naples and having a real problem with cocaine and and lying to his family, lying to his kids, lying to people because of, you know, denying that first child. Again, as I said, kind of films a microcosm because he went on to have many children that he denied. So that story just repeats again and again and again. And, and, and sadly, it is a tough life. If you are a person who has got an issue with addiction, it's not a particularly happy story. Do you ever feel that you're putting a bit of a, a gloss of glamour on an actually quite unpleasant man? Talented, riveting, but do you sort of think that actually he's kind of worse than you make him look? I'm not trying to justify anything he's done, but I am also... I don't think he ever set out in life to be a role model for young people or, you know, that's not who he is. That's not where he's from. He's the guy that he is. I'm interested in all types of people. I'm interested in understanding the more challenging characters. You know, when I started to make Amy, she wasn't universally loved by people. Everyone thought she was a bit of an idiot. Why is she so drunk? Why is she walking around? She's a drug addict. She's a fool. And the idea was saying, well, actually, she was pretty amazing before she suffered. The idea of trying to explain who they are, who they were before success and fame and what happened to them and how they changed and trying to humanise them and maybe have a little bit of sympathy for these characters is what I'm interested in. Do you think I'm they, not what, saying they're I'm perfect. just interested on it, Amy. I was watching People it, who are perfect are incredibly boring or lying. More often lying. But I was watching it uh, again, actually, recently, as it happened with my daughter, the teenage daughter. And it's interesting, the fascination of a new generation with that sort of disaster story, the amazing music, uh, of course. I wouldn't call it a disaster You story. wouldn't? No, it's very sad what happened. I don't think she, she's not a disaster. She died a horrible, squalid death. Why? I don't know. You made the People film. didn't look after her. I think she wasn't protected. I think the media picked on her. I think the mm. press attacked her. I think that meant that people, the audience, thought they had a free attempt to kind of hit her and attack her. So what's interesting is you have a lot of painters historically who suffered, who create great works of art, who we go to pay lots of money to go to their shows, and they died penniless. So in her case, she was a musician who found a way to express her problems through her art and writing songs and creating music. What's more important for a person to have a great life and not create anything, or someone who suffered but actually created great art? and was an amazing artist. And we're left with the art. But we should think about how we describe these people. She was a 27-year-old kid who suffered from a lot of lack of protection and care. But her father was furious about the film. Mitch Ryan was this huge character in this saga of the management and mismanagement of her, both professionally and clearly also personally. He called the film spiteful or misleading. So he didn't accept your characterization that you sound very... Yeah, impassioned that, that actually you do feel you were doing the right thing by Absolutely. this character. Absolutely. I feel wrong. like I'm making a story for her. 
and trying to tell her story. That's my job. When I make Ayrton Senna's story, I'm trying to tell the story from his point of view. With Amy, I'm trying to explain what it was like to be Amy Winehouse. It wasn't a wonderful time in life. And um, with Maradona, trying to explain what it's like to be him and to go through the things that he goes through. You can make your own choice. I'm not saying you have to love any of these people. But if you understand these people, then you might like have a bit more empathy and sympathy for them. I wasn't making it for any of the entourage and anyone around. I was making it in a way to reveal the, who she really was in this you, case. Do you think he's, he's not seeing the situation clearly? I think a lot of people... I spoke to about 120 people on that film. I did a lot of research. It took three, four years to make it. There's only one person who's come out against the film. Let's talk a bit about the, the technique and the, the extraordinary... You know, 500 hours of unseen footage that you've used in, in Maradona. This is not uh, untypical for you. I think you must live surrounded by an awful lot of... <laughs> I live in the past. I've only got a problem with the present. I just sit there looking at old material all day long. People are young and beautiful. Uh, do you think that, that this use of archive encourages subjects, people who knew them to be involved in, in the film, sort of suggests their lives are less open to interpretation, as in the archive is going to guide us as what we should be looking at. Of course, it's the job of a filmmaker. My films are about making the stories as visual and as cinematic as possible. And I have found the way to do that isn't by interviewing someone now and asking them to remember what may have happened 30 years ago, but I'd rather show the audience. And the truth is always in the material. And then I, I do interview people in order to figure out what a story might be. And then my job is to find the way to show it. You know, radio is people talking. And for me, TV is talking heads. And so my aim has always been to make them as cinematic as possible, using the music, the sound design, a little bit of voice to help you or give you context. But essentially, you watch and you work out who you think is telling the truth or not from what you see at the time, not in hindsight. And are there limitations to the form? Because trying to approach the inner truth of a person, which you, you sound like you're very keen to do from their perspective, you say not what other people think, not what the entourage thinks, not what the media said. But at the same time, you have the sort of veil of what is available to you. In the sense of Amy, that was very different, wasn't it? Because she's a child of the social media age with Maradona. I'm amazed actually how much film footage there was uh, going quite a, a long way back. But you, you work within constraints. It's really tough. There, every movie, um, there have been moments when I thought, this is not going to work. This is a disaster. You know, we're not going to be able to get away with it. Senna, Amy and Maradona were moments when I thought this style isn't going to work. But part of the process is you have to stick with it and trust it and trust your gut and find a way to tell the story. And, and that's what I've tried to do. It wouldn't work for every person or every character but the subjects that I've chosen have been people that I thought I could show the story and I think if it was another type of character I'd find another way of telling the story. Of the three got a level with you I love Senna most both the film but also the character and I have I'm one of those people comes with no interest at all in motor racing and even the sound of it makes me switch television off and yet there was something about a sort of grandeur and a kind of glory about his quest that touched me most. What about you? Oh it's like asking you to pick your kids, you know, when you spend this much time. And you live with these characters and these stories. And, you know, in a way, it's like having a family. And there are, you know, Sen is like the perfect guy. You know, he's, he's beautiful. He's so intelligent. He's so eloquent. He's spiritual. I absolutely fell in love with him when I was making that movie. And I was not the world's biggest Formula One fan beforehand. So he is, he's almost like the perfect kid. And then you've got other kids who are a bit more troubled, you know. And so Amy is beautiful and wonderful, but she suffered. And then Maradona's part Senna and part Amy, and then a whole load of him. 
you know, so they're all different. Um, Senna's the easiest to love, I'd say. I think Amy moved a lot of people and I think there's a kind of male-female thing going on. You know, he was treated a certain way as a Latin American, good-looking, wealthy, educated hero and she was treated very differently by just by being a young woman by the media and so there's a different story going on there. I, I did check myself on that and I wondered if we feel differently about... There's a story it's almost about class as well. You know, you've got a very wealthy women. guy from a very wealthy background who drove racing cars surrounded by billionaires in Monaco. Okay, and you've got Amy who's very middle class singing jazz who did go to a good school but you know she comes from a kind of middle class Southgate she's not really kind of she put on a voice at times when she went to Camden but she wasn't really from there originally and Maradona's from the street why would he be likeable he's tough he's been through things you've never imagined or seen or witnessed and wouldn't want to so he comes from a place where people like you would never have noticed him were he not famous and that's why his story is different and football is the, the game of the poor Worldwide, that's the sport where kids with nothing have to become successful in order to help feed the village. The loose trilogy, uh, as I think you now also see it yourself, has come to an end. What next? Will the, the approach or the subjects change, or might you take the route back to fiction, which is where you were be- before your journey through modern fame? I am um, taking a little step back to think and to reassess and I would love to do a drama. I'd love to make another movie. I just came back from India. I'd love to shoot a film there or shoot a film in Japan. The industry has changed over the last sort of 12, 15 years. I've been making these films and these docs. So, you know, you've now got these kind of big digital companies and series working a different way. So that's why I've sort of called it a trilogy because I felt that it might be the last time I do a film which is two hours long, having done all the research. And I may well go into series. And somewhere, the space between fiction and documentary has always fascinated me. But I'm kind of feeling like I've got to now experiment and try something new. And so, yeah, that's probably going to be the next step. Asif Kabadia, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. And we'd love to know what you think, who or what should be Asif Kapadia's next subject. And does his forensic approach get us closer to the real person behind the legends we worship? Write to us, radio at economist.com, or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. And while you're with us, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And on a final note, I'd like to thank everyone who voted for this show in the best host category at the Lovey Awards. Bronze this year, people. Who knows what next? I'm Anne McElvoy, and in London, this is The Economist.